I love talking about entrepreneurship. And so I yeah. love teaching it. And at that time, my what was kind of fresh in my mind was I was coming back from Babson, which is world number one for entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And I had all of the course material and all of the kind of do's and don'ts that I mm-hmm. saw in terms of entrepreneurship education over there. And so for me, it was more, how do I give back? How do I distill everything that I've learned and mm-hmm. pass it on to more people? So A, I was working eye to eye and B, I thought, okay, maybe if I teach yeah. at an entrepreneurship school, I'll be able to kind of pass on that curriculum and inspire like a large group of people and then they can mm-hmm. kind of take it forward. And that's what resulted in me working at NAS. I honestly didn't really apply to a lot of places. I spoke to mm-hmm. somebody at NAS, they said, yeah, come on. And, you know, I kind of joined. Right. And I took all of my two years at Babson mm-hmm. and distilled those two years into a curriculum for entrepreneurship for one semester. And I had so much fun. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal learning experience. Hi, everybody. Today, I have a really special guest with me, Meena Tariq. I came to know Meena through I2I when you were working as a head of strategy and accelerator with Kulsum Lakhani, who we have interviewed in the past for the series. Uh, I'm really excited to know about you, Meena, because you've had a really tremendous journey and you've been a really important part of the startup ecosystem. And you've been there among, you know, the OGs, you know, when it all started. So I think for me, it's really important to get to know you as a person. Uh, How are you juggling with all the different roles that you have right now as a co-founder of Metric? We'll get to that in a bit as well. You're a mom to a five-year-old. I've seen a few videos on LinkedIn as well. Three-year-old? Three-year-old. Oh, okay. Yeah. Two, a mom to a three-year-old. And you're also working with your husband on this new yeah. project that you're working on. So I think there's a lot that's happening on the back end, but I really want to get to know more about you. Thank you so much for inviting me, Sanya. Super excited to be here. Awesome. But I really want to know, how was the last year for you? Like, as, you know, as a co-founder, as a business person, like, I know it's too much to wrap up, but how has it been for you? It was the most phenomenal year of my life. Like, I keep saying this to people, I I don't have the words to explain how insane last year was. I'm I'm drinking water because it makes me cry every time I talk about last year. Like, I'm I'm just like sipping water so I don't tear up. But last year was just one for the books. Like it was the most, the most growth I've ever experienced inside Mm -hmm. of one single year. It was the most I've cried because of work in one single year. It was the highest of happiness that I've ever gotten from work in one single year. It was just, for us last year started with the nervousness of going into the fundraise. So we started working on Metric, which is my current company Mm -hmm. in 2021. So at the start of 2022 is when we had like, you know, geared up for um, our fundraise and we'd made our deck and you're like, okay, when do we start reaching out to people? Like, how do we, how do we do this? Like, you know, making all of kind of those decisions. So January 20th, uh, was the first day that we sent out emails or had a call with like the first investor that we spoke to about metric and my birthday is the 23rd so oh, I was wow. actually pretty pissed I was like, why are we doing this in my birthday week like why are we doing this high stress stuff in my birthday week can, can we not choose yeah. any other time to do it so it was my birthday week and we decided okay this is we're stu- we're just going to start reaching out to people mm-hmm. and within 10 working days we closed our round which was wow. insane like you know, Omar and I have been on the VC side before and we know it takes time. It, it takes but it was all the work that we had done before that, that kind of came into play and helped us close around so quickly. And so within 10, so it starts like the year starts off with like high levels of anxiety and fear yeah. and like, 
you know, we're putting what we've been working on for the last six months in front of people. We've been like Omar had quit his job. So oh we God. have a baby. And now, you know, this is going to be like the do or die. And people are going to be telling us if this <laughs> if they think this is going to work. So you, it's a very vulnerable position to put yeah, yourself absolutely. in. So that's how it started. And then towards the end of January, like by the end of January, mm-hmm. we had raised our round, which was, and we were oversubscribed. People were, people were trying to give us more money than we wanted. Oh my and God. people were like, wow. just emailing us at that point saying, I would like to get in. If, if you have allocation, we'd like to invest. If you have allocation, we'd like to invest. Mm-hmm. And we were having to, we were in the position where we had to actually say, no, you know, we don't have an allocation anymore. And that was also really hard because mm-hmm. uh, it's so hard to say no to money that's coming in. Right. So yeah. we had to kind of make those decisions at that point. But that was like the, like we went from like super high anxiety to super high, like levels of happiness. Mm-hmm. And then we we were going around trying to find a bigger office space because at that point we were in our friend's office. We sublet right. a room from our friend and we were kind of working out of his mm-hmm. office. So we wanted to hire more people. We needed to move our team to a bigger office. So we we're going around looking for buildings and then selling everything we had. Like we sold oh all of the gold we Omar and I had to pay for the new building. Because mm-hmm. as you know, even though investors commit, the money doesn't come in at that point. Mm-hmm. So investors committed in January, but the money didn't start come in until like March, right? right? So between January and March, we had to put in the down payment on the building and like pay for ACs and everything else. And so mm-hmm. we sold off all the gold we had. And actually even my mom's gold to pay for everything. So that like we we said we paid back as soon as the company got money, yeah. the company would just like pay it back. But that, yeah. that's what was happening in reality on ground, right? And so we went from high nervousness to high excitement. And then when we moved in, it we went straight back to high nervousness and high anxiety again, mm-hmm. because now we were in this office space. We had to hire people. We yeah. had to get the, like, the new version of the app ready at the same time. Mm-hmm. We had to build teams like we had to hire people and build processes at the same time. People that were coming in needed to be told what they needed to be working on. Sorry, how many people did you have in the team at, at that, that time? We had, we were about five or six people at that time when we started off. Um, and then in February onwards is when we really started hiring because then we mm-hmm. had money to pay people, right? right? So we started bringing people in. And again, like this is, you know, I can... I can go on and on about mm-hmm. stuff that happened last year because it's sure. so it's so crazy. We were trying to hire people and people wouldn't join us because they didn't know us. They're right. like, what what company? What metric? What who are mm-hmm. you? So why would we like this is too high risk? Like we yep. so we thought Omar and I thought that the first person that we could hire should be an HR person, like a people right. person, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. that person will take over over recruitment. So we mm-hmm. don't have to kind of go on LinkedIn and email people and message people. So the first person we tried to hire for was the HR person. We offered five different people that role. Like we actually gave offers to five different people who turned it down. Essentially, it was too high risk. The money we were offering was too little. And nobody had heard of metric. People didn't want to leave like jobs that, you know, the poverty alleviation fund and like government and big banks to come to a startup. So we went from having to convince investors that we were credible to having to convince employees that we were credible. And I'm just, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go on and on about these, but I have so many examples of like Mm -hmm. the stuff that happened last year, which just takes you, you know how they say in startups, the highs are high and the lows are low. It's like, it's, it's this swinging kind of pendulum Mm -hmm. and, there is so much uh, fatigue that comes from 
constantly switching mm-hmm. like you know context switching is what the, what it's called right switching contexts all the time so i'm thinking about fundraising and talking to investors and then i'm thinking about the product i'm thinking about the tech and then i'm thinking about employees and hiring and then i'm thinking about people management and then i'm thinking about organizational growth and then i'm thinking about marketing and wow. you know product marketing Absolutely. and the growth yeah. so it's like you're just constantly going from one topic to the other mm-hmm. in the space of an hour or 30 minutes you yeah. might have five or six completely different conversations and some might be super awesome mm-hmm. and some might like seriously suck yeah. so um, yeah. that was that was last year sanya this is i i swear to you i'm holding myself back from telling you all of the stories mm-hmm. you should come over for coffee some day whenever sure, you're next sure. in islamabad and i will I tell you about that last year. <laughs> i would was, love that it was insane it was insane <laughs> oh my god but i think mina it is so credible though because if i understand correctly and feel free to correct me if i'm wrong so you started metric in august 2021 is that correct yeah june july 2021 yeah june, july. june or july 2021 yeah in january 2022 that is amazing i mean yeah. hats off for that first off honestly because i mean just few months in a new product uh completely i mean while you're talking with the rest of like say, five to six people in the team yeah and then getting a yeah, bunch yeah. of uh, because you did manage to raise if 900,000 for metric yeah yeah 900 something yeah mm-hmm. million yeah so and there and this is this is why it happened and this is kind of like you know what you were saying right at the start about what is the kind of pieces of advice that people in their 20s yeah. should be kind of looking out for i think it is you know that fundraise came 6 months after mm-hmm. we started metric yeah but it actually came 10 years and 6 months after i started working in the startup ecosystem wow so you know what they say about an overnight success right like it's not it's not those 5 or 6 months that mm-hmm. resulted in us raising or being oversubscribed in 10 days it is actually the decade of work that we've been doing in front of all of these people okay. with all of these people that resulted in them saying you know what whatever it is that you're working on mm-hmm. we'll write you a check and actually for us like that's what was going on even in january mm-hmm. people had been raising uh, people had been reaching out to us since before we opened our round people started re- reaching out to us in september october saying hey we've been hearing about you working on something what is this thing can we get on mm-hmm. a call to discuss and again that's because of the work that we had done before right mm-hmm. and that's what i think omar and i both realized about our careers overall yeah. we didn't make an, a lot of money in our 20s you know we were we were actually laughing about it in our 20s yeah. we hustled real hard we were doing five six jobs at the same time we were working overtime whatever we were doing we gave a lot of our heart and our soul to yeah. it and we did it for the love of the game like we were excited we we worked on things we were passionate about mm-hmm. we worked on things we really wanted to be working on wow. and we made sure that we did the best we could Mm-hmm. so then when we shifted and decided to do something new all of the people that had worked with us in the past who know how we operate who know exactly how we execute who know what our strengths are right they're the ones who wanted to join us at that time so in our 20s we just worked really hard <laughs> and hustled really hard wow. it is in our 30s that we started mm-hmm. to make money that we started yeah. to see those kind of growth results mm-hmm. umar was saying the other day his growth has been like 
you know that j the hockey stick growth yep. curve if you mm-hmm. if you chart salaries you will actually see like dot 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 dot, dot and then <laughs> wow yeah that's the kind of growth we've had because we put in that work early on mm-hmm. so your 20s are for building your credibility your brand your mm-hmm. expertise your mastery yeah. it is for showing that you're an executor anybody that that is going to be somebody who's good at execution mm-hmm. will always find work will always get a job will always mm-hmm. be hired will always be someone that people will take a bet on so i think yeah for us it's not you know it's not that oh we raised our fund in we raised our funding in mm-hmm. 10 days it's actually that decade plus those 10 days that people had mm-hmm. seen us i don't know if that makes sense to you it makes a lot of sense and it's actually so beautiful that you bring in that context to this conversation you know because like you mentioned it's never an overnight success and i'm so glad that you're saying it you know like in terms of and it's absolutely true you do have a decade long experience and you've helped and worked with so many people in different organizations and maybe we can get to that as well because mina i would really want to know uh for me for example i do know that you were at ity before so i do want to understand mm-hmm. like how has it been for you working in different spaces like building those roadblocks and building those you know like uh, like ecosystem for different other people and now you're on a space where you're starting something of your own like how has that shift been for you like being an ecosystem builder and now being someone who's just starting so for me entrepreneurship has always come first right. so there is a why and like it's very easy to look back mm-hmm. and connect the dots right so yeah. all the work that i've done has been in service to this cause yeah and this cause isn't just it's not that i've been looked outwards and said oh this is what i want to be working on mm-hmm. it's actually something that started off very early on when i was super young i think i started selling stuff when i was like 6 years old wow. but even early on if you look at the context within which i grew mm-hmm. up women around me were not very empowered when i was growing up like uh, you know the the mohalla that i was working on mm-hmm. the communities that i was working in uh, sorry growing up in there weren't really a lot of choices and women didn't really have a lot of agency or a lot of choice um and the careers that they had which were kind of allowed were medical or engineering mm-hmm. or you know things like that yeah. and even those were very 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 few like most women um, around me were getting married and mm-hmm. that was kind of it right yeah. Yeah. but even when they got married they i the women that i saw around me didn't really have a voice mm-hmm. and so i learned very early on this financial independence for women was something that i think i learned in my mother's you know lap like it was mm-hmm. almost spoon fed to me i think my mom has always been a super and my mom's a, not a working woman so i saw her suffer all her life because she wasn't financially mm-hmm. independent and i saw other women around me constantly suffer because of it and so when i started business or i started making and selling things it was because somewhere in my head i thought that women couldn't really have careers because it mm-hmm. wasn't really allowed or there weren't opportunities so the one thing that they could do was make and sell things right. so that's how i would make my money and i started doing it very early so whatever it is that i could do any skill that i had that could be monetized i have done that like you name it i've done it i have mm-hmm. done photography i've done event management i've tried to make and sell clothing i've written articles i've done like freelance stuff all of my life like again it was all everything was about getting financial independence so that i could have a choice and i could have a voice and i could do my own thing mm-hmm. so i saw that very early on and that's like like deeply ingrained yeah. in me wow. so even the hard work that i've been talking about like it's just 
kind of been in service to that same cause. I've never said no to work in my life. I think now is when I've like, when I quit, when I started metric, when I, or when I came on to metric full time is when I, for the first time in my life, I actually said no to other work. And I said, no, I need to focus on my own startup. Now I can't be mm -hmm. doing other stuff on the That's side. Right. But yeah. before that I've always had, you know, five to six or like at least three to three to six jobs mm -hmm. at the same time. And most of them have been entrepreneurial. Yeah. So around me, I saw that women who could do entrepreneurial ventures were able to take more control of their lives. So when I came, when I when I grad, when I went to business school, even in my undergrad, I went to the fast uh, yes. business school. I was just about to get to that. Yeah, yeah, I thought I was going there to uh, to become an entrepreneur. But the way business education is in Pakistan it's it's not very entrepreneurial they don't really teach you entrepreneurship so when i graduated we're like okay you just got, have to get a job i got a job at uphone i really really hated my job i seriously hated yeah. uh, working in a big corporation i was a small call i couldn't see who i was making a difference for like what did it even matter every, mm -hmm. every day whatever it is that i did uh, i was kind of very it was very uninspiring for me. So Fulbright, uh, when I applied for the scholarship, was almost a way to get away from that. Where I was like, okay, mm -hmm. you know, I need to be doing something else. Yeah. But if I leave my job, everybody's just going to force me to get married. Actually, yeah. even with that job, they're just trying to force me to get married, right? So yeah. I had to run away from two things. I had to run away <laughs> from a job I hated, and I had to run away from being forced to get married yeah. right at that point. So my mother actually said that. She's like, listen, if you don't want to get married right now, you need to apply for a scholarship and go you know, do your master's because that's the only anyway mm -hmm. uh, so my mom forced me to apply for the scholarship and to go and that's how that worked out and when I was coming back to Pakistan I think my mm -hmm. top priority at that time was to do something in the entrepreneurship sector mm -hmm. I didn't really know what the ecosystem looked like at that mm -hmm. time I didn't know how incubators and accelerators were yeah. uh, you know working so it was really really lucky for me that I met Kalsoom um, and I think she I couldn't have worked with a better organization because eye to eye in itself was extremely entrepreneurial. Absolutely. When I joined, there were three people there. Mm -hmm. And I think our average throughout my almost four years at eye to eye was a team of like three people. We were yeah. just always three people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you would go up to four or five and come back to three. That's that's how <laughs> yes. it was. There was a high level of ownership. Mm -hmm. You had to make work and because we were a very small accelerator and finding funding for accelerators and incubators is actually very difficult always so with a tiny team with almost no funding mm -hmm. you either had to work really hard to generate funding for yourself or we, we decided okay why don't we start doing consulting work on the side yes. and earn money mm -hmm. through which we can then sponsor our own accelerator and that's when i became the head of strategy at i2i -I, actually so we started doing consulting work we started pitching for consulting work we would write proposals ourselves we would go pitch and we started to get work so the four years that i spent at i2i -I, we were able to i think we got like by the end of it we were starting to get much much larger projects like mm -hmm. i think double what i2i -I had been getting in the past we were able to, because it was a very it was a very like deliberate approach to, okay, now we're going to start becoming a consulting company instead mm -hmm. of just depending on grants or external funding. So in itself, all of that process was very entrepreneurial. Plus, when you work with entrepreneurs, you are just constantly, insp mm -hmm. constantly inspired. That's true. Uh, That's true. Entrepreneurs are people who are very passionate. Mm -hmm. And when you interact with people who are passionate, it inspires passion within yourself too. So... Wow. I loved it. Like it was mm -hmm. just 
I think my four years at I to I, I think I poured my heart into the work mm-hmm. that I did. Yeah. I loved it so much. I can't begin to, I mean, you, you met me when I was working yeah, yeah. in I to I, yeah. so you probably yeah. remember. Yeah, yeah. I think for me as an outsider, like I could see the synergy that you guys have. And honestly, you know, when people talk about like, oh, X Kareem and X this, like for me, I do know that there's an X I to I. And as soon as somebody has that attached to their name, there's, they're definitely going to be doing wonders. I don't know what it is, uh, but no, there's that's... like amazing, like energy and the way that you guys work together and the ideas that you guys bring to the table and the impact that you obviously create. I think it's amazing. Absolutely. So Zoom inspires that kind of passion in people. Absolutely. But in that sense, like, I really want to understand, uh, Mina, like, how have you now, like, trickled down that sort of an effect to metric? Because I was going through the website and I was like, yeah, these values of the company seemed like completely outstanding to what I've seen before. So how was it for you, like, building that team culture, bringing those values into metric and now building a team, mashallah? You've just hit, like, our favorite topic, which is our mm-hmm. values. Yes. Our favorite topic at Metric is our values. And we actually, we worked on these values before the fundraise, before anything. Again, when we were like a team of six people, we sat down with the team and we brainstormed what are the values that are important to us. Omar and I have both and Habiba, our co-founder also, mm-hmm. we've all worked at different organizations and we've worked within different sets of values of those organizations. Yes. So we had very clear ideas of what we enjoyed and what we didn't enjoy. Mm-hmm. And we really, we really believe, Sanya, we're not in this world to do mediocre work. Absolutely. We're not in this world to do, you know, okay stuff. Mm-hmm. We're, we truly believe that we are here to do something phenomenal. And to do that, you need to, that's like, you need to put it out there. You need to put it on the table. And then that needs to be central to everything that you do. So we are very clear on what our priorities are. We're very mm-hmm. clear on what our principles are. So all, all five of our values are things that have trickled down from all three of us as co-founders and then our early team also. Um, you know, our value of no gatekeeping, for example, like we are, we are, we're very clear that we do not want to gatekeep anything. We don't, want, we don't want to gatekeep knowledge. We don't want to gatekeep mm-hmm. growth from anybody. So in our company, anybody can learn to be anything. You can be an accountant, but if you decide that you want to grow in the direction of product, we're not going to stop you. You can mm-hmm. attend those meetings, you can learn about it. And if you see that there's a direction that you can take, we are very happy to help you get there. Uh, we are we don't require degrees for you know jobs. We mm-hmm. have actually we have no we have pretty much no jobs for which there is a requirement for you to have like an undergrad degree or a graduate school wow. degree. We don't care. You can come from any background at all. You can come from any socioeconomic segment. You can speak any language and we will try to be as inclusive as possible. And we don't believe in inclusion for the sake of inclusion. We believe inclusion results directly in growth, right? So that's just one of our values. So yeah, absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. So, you know, that's just one of our values. So Mm -hmm. we very, very strongly believe in all five of our values. Mm -hmm. Even our interviews are based on those values. We we think people can learn anything, but if they're Mm -hmm. not a value match for the company, then they're not going to add value to the company also. So our interviews too are based very much on these are our values and how do you fit in into those Mm -hmm. values of the company. So yeah, we we call ourselves a values first organization. Mm -hmm. It is our favorite topic. Yeah. Um, It is part of the language here at Metric and it is something we feel very strongly about. Amazing. No, I'm actually so happy to hear that because I personally think that this is one thing that's missing out in a lot of 
you know the pakistani startup eco like the ecosystem like different work cultures and different startups and environments and but i'm so glad that you're working on it and it's actually something that is happening uh, you know during interviews as well because it's so nice it's actually so nice because you not only find someone who is in it just for the sake of it like you mentioned but also in it for the long run right they can move around different roles yeah. work on different things they can acquire different skill sets uh and i think from i will definitely conclude this you know later on down the line like when we're getting to the advice part as well i really want you to share why people should join metric because i do know that there will be many people listening to this conversation later on who might be looking for jobs uh you know maybe in their early careers and looking for a job where they're like oh i don't have too much experience because every job requires experience but if you're not able to build that experience you don't have get a job so it's like this whole vicious circle you know that we get stuck in um but yeah i think in that sense uh, mina you also mentioned about not being taught entrepreneurship in pakistan we don't have that uh but you did get a chance to teach entrepreneurship in nast mm-hmm. so i just want to understand like how was that experience for you and also like what is uh, a learning in terms of whether it's mindset or skill set that an inspiring uh, entrepreneur should have i loved it i love talking about entrepreneurship and so i yeah. love teaching it and at that time my what was kind of fresh in my mind was i was coming back from babson which is world number one for entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and i had all of the course material and all of the kind of do's and don'ts that i mm-hmm. saw in terms of entrepreneurship education over there and so for me it was more how do i give back how do i distill everything that i've learned and mm-hmm. pass it on to more people so a i was working at i and b i thought okay maybe if i teach yeah. at an entrepreneurship school i'll be able to kind of pass on that curriculum and inspire like a large group of people and then they can mm-hmm. kind of take it forward and that's what resulted in me working at nas i honestly didn't really apply to a lot of places i spoke to mm-hmm. somebody at nas they said yeah come on and you know i kind of joined right. and i took all of my two years at babson and mm-hmm. distilled those two years into a curriculum for entrepreneurship for one semester and i had so much fun it was a phenomenal phenomenal learning experience so again for me teaching entrepreneurship is more about kind of giving back and even the trainings that i've did any any training that i ever do it is more about okay you know i've been so privileged and so lucky and so blessed to have had all of these things come to me how do i pass it on and and again when you're teaching entrepreneurship i think there's there's a few things that especially to young people when you're teaching at a university level yes. there's a couple of things that you're trying to do a you're trying to inspire them but b you're also trying to get them to think big mm-hmm. and sanya when i was teaching entrepreneurship this was pre the startup ecosystem boom the startup ecosystem boom happened in 2020 yeah. uh, 2021 2022 or even 2019 2020 I was teaching in 2015. Wow. So at that time startups were still considered very mm-hmm. very high risk. Um not a very good way to earn money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like nobody was really at that time I mean if somebody raised a $100,000 round we would just go crazy with happiness because mm-hmm. that was unheard of, right? Yeah. So it was a very different world that I was teaching yeah. entrepreneurship in. Yeah. I think if I taught it again today it was it would be a completely different context. Absolutely. but if i want to understand in terms of you know passing on knowledge and i think if there's one thing that i do hear in your conversations a lot uh mina and it's really nice is that how let's say for example your mother passed on you know that financial independence and different values to you and then how in terms of no gatekeeping that is a value at metric and also in your personal journey there is no gatekeeping like passing on that knowledge at nast or passing on that knowledge in different ecosystems that you've been a part of i really want to understand like uh, you do have a daughter and you're also you know working with yeah. your husband as a co-founder 
So I really want to understand like what is something that you want to pass on to your daughter and what is the, you know, the future or the ecosystem, like this whole, you know, like a space that you want your daughter to grow up in as a value. For example, your mother passed on financial independence to you. And of course that was the need of the hour because back then and even now, I think at least we're growing in the right direction, right? So yeah, what is yeah. something that you want to pass on to your daughter? I think financial independence is your your right. It's going to be something that becomes a norm mm -hmm. more yes. or less in an economic crisis you need more bodies working and so more and more people are going to not only allow women to work but actually mm -hmm. push them to work yes because yes. you can't have like 50 percent of your population not being mm -hmm. productive in a more you know kind of capitalist yeah, way yeah. i guess yeah. in society yep. so they've been they've been productive in social ways but not really like productive in terms of industrial capitalist ways yep. and in an economic recession more and more people are going to want more people to be earning and contributing Absolutely. so i don't think it's going to be i don't think it's going to be a, a very long time before you know women are just it's going to become a norm it's not mm -hmm. going to be a question anymore even in our country uh but for mirana i think another value of ours at metric is doing epic work which is kind of linked to what i was saying before that we're you're not on this earth to do mediocre stuff yeah. and so i think that's what if i inspire her to do one thing and it's that i think i will be very happy because that. again you know it is connected to what I just said about if you believe that you're here to do phenomenal work, you will try to work in that direction yeah. and you will never have to fear being not having enough money or like any of those things. Because I have very rarely seen people who really do phenomenal work not get Mm -hmm. somewhere like it's been very rare that that has happened in the people that I've seen and I've seen mm -hmm. people from very um, kind of like socioeconomic places which were really tough for them to get out of but because they continue to do great work they were able to make something of themselves so yeah I think I think that's the one thing that I would want to kind of inspire her to do to believe that she's on this earth that that she has a greater purpose and that you know to to fulfill that she has to put in the work and the energy and the effort and you know inshallah she will get the reward for I love that so much. Oh my God. I hope she's watching this, you know, when she's at her twenties as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will put her, I would put this in the required watching <laughs> list for her. <laughs> oh, wow. But Amina, my last question, since we're almost out of time as well, what is your advice to people in their twenties? You have worked with 20 year olds, you've taught them, uh, you've been around them. You were once one of them as well. So now coming to a point where you are at a point where you're contributing, giving back to society as a founder, as someone who uh, is building an ecosystem where people can now, you know, like, like giving employment to people as well. I think it's a very powerful role to have. You're also an investor. So you do give back to startups every now and then, whenever you get a chance. And knowing you, I know you'll continue to do that. But what is your advice to people in their 20s starting off their careers? Uh, we're also, you know, in an economic downturn situation right now where people are losing their jobs as well. Uh, so I would really want to know what is your advice to people, whether in terms of entrepreneurship, uh, if somebody wants to start off, uh, you know, their own thing or they want to get a job. Uh, so, yeah, if anything you can talk about. The one the one investment or the greatest investment that you can make is to invest in your own selves and in, in your own personal growth. Yeah, it is. It is by far the best investment that you can make. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I spoke about this in a, in a like TEDx uh, yeah. talk that I was invited. I was just about to say I'm going to link it. Sanya, when I was growing up, I was so worried about being a generalist. Like mm -hmm. I, 
I can't begin to tell you like how much imposter syndrome I've had about who I am or my skill set. I don't have a technical background. Mm -hmm. um, and when I say technical, not even like a tech, like not even an accounting, like I don't have a hard, you know, hard education, knowledge, skill set, background. Everything I've studied is like the soft stuff. People look, people have always been looking, and I think even maybe now they look down on the BBAs. They're like, what yeah, BBA yeah. make up? You know, mm -hmm. what, what, do you, what do they even teach in BBA? You're just a you're just a BBA. What are you talking about? Like, you yeah. know, we're we're chartered accountants, we're we're engineers, we're XYZ. And so I constantly thought okay maybe I need to do another degree like you know maybe maybe I should have just become an engineer maybe I should have just become a charter accountant maybe I should have done something else I'm such a generalist where am I going to fit where am I required but if you keep on doing those things you build your circle of expertise mm -hmm. over time so there's two things I think that you can do in your 20s one is to invest in yourself and do many things try mm -hmm. many things don't try to uh, don't try to limit yourself too early on. But two, whatever you do, try to do it the best possible way that you can do. Like try to do it at a global level. Don't think about, in Pakistan, we have a very, you know, bare minimum kind of mentality mm -hmm. where we think, okay, if we can do this much, that's enough. If we just yeah. get this done, that's kind of fine, mm -hmm. you know? Think about what the gold standard for it is and try to hit that. And it can be anything. It can be a sm small side gig that you're doing, but do it with the best or the highest amount of passion that you can. Mm -hmm. I don't know that if that's very generic advice, but I will be very honest. That's what really worked for me. Yeah. I think, and that's what I see a lot of people doing. They're too scared to experiment. They're too, our society constantly tells us to not experiment. Our society mm -hmm. wants us to become experts like right out of school, you know, and be yep. very clear about what do. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was at I to I, what my dad used to say, she he used to say, Ye to companies ki secretary hai. Like she she's just like a personal assistant mm -hmm. to other businesses. People would make fun of the fact that I was working on the kind of stuff that I was working on, and they didn't understand. Right. And sometimes even today, our family's like, What are you even doing? Mm -hmm. They don't understand, but it's okay. You don't need everyone to understand every mm -hmm. single one of the steps that you're taking. You just need to know that you're doing it for a greater reason that you understand. You're experimenting, you're investing, you're taking those risks, mm -hmm. but you are doing them with deliberation, with energy, with passion, and trying to do the best that you can at them. And then you and then you kind of like let it all come together and let it all work mm -hmm. out. I had no idea how I would be an investor. You know, right? When I was at yeah. I2I, I, I really wanted to get into the VC space. And I used to cry about it. Like, I remember, like, crying to Omar about, you know, I will. I don't have an accounting degree. I don't have a finance degree. I can't break into this. I know so much about the startup space. If I was a VC, I'd be able to help them find mm -hmm. the best deals. But I would never get in because I don't have this background or this degree. Yeah. And I had such... So when I was offered partnership at that at Caravan at the VC fund that I worked at, it just blew me, like it blew me away that my imposter syndrome wasn't letting me see something that my partner saw in me, right? So again, me like second guessing myself for being mm -hmm. a generalist all my life or hearing my imposter talk all mm -hmm. my life. Yeah. But you just keep on doing the best that you can. And you keep on investing in yourself. You keep on investing in your ideas and your thoughts and your whatever it is that you feel passionate about. Yep. And inshallah, you know, you you will start to see the results. I have no words. <laughs> this was so, so nice. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, 
no 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 i was just saying sanya i hope i'm not like speaking in clichés because i'm no, trying yeah. to just i'm trying to be very honest about everything that i feel has mm-hmm. worked out for me and i'm yes. but i'm also like you know i'm very cognizant of my own privilege i'm cognizant of the privilege that i got when i got the fulbright because mm-hmm. it did change my life i came back with an international degree you know so i have i i am very cognizant of you know where i'm coming from mm-hmm. and where i'm speaking from so i don't want it to sound like oh you know i'm making it sound so you know breezy and everything's no, just no. going to work out in the end and you know for mm-hmm. people to think oh you know she has no idea what's what life is like on ground no. uh that's that's not what i'm trying to do so i yeah. hope it doesn't come across that way no it won't in both and honestly for people who do really want to get a chance to work with you there is a job board available at metric and i'm going to yeah. Yeah. Uh, to this yes, you know, so i really yes, honestly, i really really want people wherever the offices are where where do you have it in lahore islamabad is it remote not remote yeah so we have we have our offices in islamabad but we mm-hmm. hire people from all over and mm-hmm. you can be anywhere in the world and we'll figure it out again like it, it comes down to like that kind of value alignment and it doesn't we know we can make it work Awesome, awesome. No, but I really want people to work with you because it's amazing. I feel like they could learn so so much. Uh and of course, yeah. you know, I, I want I want everybody I want everybody that's watching to also pray for us. We're going to go into our next fundraise inshallah very soon. So okay. again, you know, you know that kind of like cycle that I just told yeah. you about and now we're going to into fundraise in 2023 which seems to be the toughest oh year God. to ever fundraise. Yeah. Um and you know, you you kind of hear about like the economic crisis and everything that's kind of going wrong and people mm-hmm. are finding it really hard a lot of people aren't investing anymore a lot of funds aren't investing yeah. anymore so mm-hmm. it's actually like the the levels of fear are probably higher than before mm-hmm. because of all of this external environment yeah. but on the other hand our belief in metric is actually stronger than before because when we were fundraising last year a lot of it was based on assumptions you know we said yes we will make this and then this will right. happen and then we saw it happen sanya when we uh, when we launched metric Yep. in june uh first of july i was looking at all of our data to write down an investor update and i saw that we were being used in 30 countries and i was like what maybe there's like a mistake that i've made because mm-hmm. we're pakistan only right now so what is yep. going on and i kind of went over and over and over again kind of rechecking 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 so within 30 days of launch we were being used in 30 countries over the next 3 months we were being used in 70 countries we had crossed a million dollars in transaction volume Amazing. which is like transactions people are putting in we'd gone viral and that in itself is it is a responsibility is, is. how i how i see it right mm-hmm. not a lot of people will ever get the opportunity to work on something that is life changing for mm-hmm. business owners globally Absolutely. we've not not advertise outside of pakistan for people to find us in countries where countries that i will never be able to visit will have people using something we worked on you know so see i told you i like cry at the drop of a hat every time i talk about this stuff but that's that's how strongly we feel about it yeah. that's that's how we kind of look at it right it is such a privilege to do what we're doing and so you know now we're going into fundraising with like these fears about our external environment yeah. but also kind of armed with the knowledge that what we're building is really needed Absolutely. and what we're building actually works yeah. what we thought would happen 
what happened was beyond even our own wildest imaginations. So it's kind of weird to be in this situation. And mm-hmm. I want everybody to pray for us and pray that inshallah it goes inshallah, inshallah. as well as it did last time around. I mean, no, I am so happy. And honestly, I can just feel the passion, you know, through this little screen. I mean, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> this is so amazing. But thank you so much you know, for you know, just sharing your journey sharing all the amazing advice that you've had. And uh, I really, honestly, I hope that one day, part two, we can do again after you've raised a round because I would really want both you and Omid and little one as well to join, you know, a little episode where we can talk about yes. you know, how the relationship, the dynamics have, like how you guys invested your time in that along with, you done. know, the that you've made. That would be Absolutely amazing. done. But thank you so done, much. Done, thank done, you so done. Much. And let's meet up whenever you're next in Islamabad. For sure, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, wait, one last thing. First off, thank you so much for listening to this whole episode. If you are listening to this, that meant that you actually heard the whole thing. Uh, We do post weekly content on our podcast every Thursday, so don't miss out. If you like what you hear, please share your feedback. This helps me to learn and this helps me to make this better every day, every week. Also, I do see a lot of you listening to this podcast from around the world. Please give us a follow and rating to our channel on Spotify. Apple Podcast, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, If you're someone who's more into reading content than watching or listening, then we do have a newsletter, uh, Weekly Digest, that goes out on LinkedIn for free, of course. So, and we recently crossed 1,000 members. Feel free to join us.